The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome again to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And I'm really excited today to introduce um, a guest to you shortly, Simon Hampel. We're going to talk about future stewards, about expanding expanding leadership capacity to positively impact our global future. But before I introduce you to Simon, I want to say a huge thank you to my guest last week, Craig Goldblatt. Um, Craig was talking about creating the future for yourself that you really want. Um, nice links in actually with, uh, with talking with si- Simon as Craig had um, set up and funded a big school in Burkina Faso in, in Africa. Uh, but the feedback from that show was really exceptional. I got a, an amazing email from one person going like, whoa, this was incredible. Um, so I'd recommend to people listen to that show uh, and see what you can learn and, and take from um, the wisdom from Craig. So as I mentioned today, we're going to look at the future, but from a different leadership perspective and, and ask ourselves, how do leaders expand their capacity and their consciousness to play their role in dealing with complex changes that are impacting our planet's future? Now, you might remember uh, last year um, that I interviewed Lindsay Levin. Uh, Lindsay is the founder of Leaders Quest, and we talked about her book, uh, Invisible Giants, and her work at Leaders Quest. And it was actually the third most listened to show last year, and it's a show that keeps on picking up listeners uh, month in, month out. And therefore, I wanted to introduce to you um, my guest today, Simon Hampel. Um, Simon's co-managing partner of Leaders Quest. He's based in London. And I thought that this organization is fascinating. They do some wonderful work. And I actually visited um, Kenya with them in September. And therefore, I thought it would be great to talk with Simon because he's another really smart, wise and eloquent individual from the business. He works with global companies and institutions um, to help catalyze change. And uh, he's really, really globally um, traveled. He spent Um, 1993 to 2001, as a serial entrepreneur, he built companies in Europe, the USA, Canada, in fields such as financial services, leisure, consultancy, and technology. And in 2002, um, he went and joined an Amazonian exploration. It led him to spending the next four years doing scientific research and aid, aid work in the Amazon, across the Himalayas, to Mongolia, down Ethiopia's Blue Nile. He then became the CEO of RightSight and worked on developing sustainable eye care projects in Africa while living in Africa and India. He spent a couple of months in a Zen monastery. Uh, He's spent, uh, since 2010, combining profit with purpose, people and the planet. Um, Apart from um, Leaders Quest, he's a partner at the Global Leaders Academy. 
He sits on the advisory board of the Ministry of Entrepreneurship. He's an associate at Positive Group. He sits on the advisory board of Do School in Germany, and he's an ambassador for Embercom. So let's talk to um, about Simon, about his incredible personal journey. I'm interested in how he fits all these things into his life as well, uh, and hear about his wisdom on how leaders can play their contribution to solving the biggest issues the planet is facing today. So a huge welcome to Simon Hampel. Thanks, Chris, very much. I must say, I think I feel a bit tired listening to everything you just said. <laughs> a lot's gone on in a, in a 48-year time frame. Well, it has. I usually, you know, I kind of sort of skim through people's bios, um, but I do find it incredible looking at your your biography, just how much have you done? And it, it seems a shame to to miss any of it out um, because you have achieved a lot. And you know, I kind of wonder, maybe we could start today by you telling us a bit about you know your influence as a child and you know how. Let's talk about the first bit about how you went from uh, from that, those experiences to setting up four companies in nine years, which is quite an achievement. Yeah, no, of course. Listen, I had a lovely childhood. Yeah, very loving mum and dad, still together now, great brothers and sisters. It, I don't remember it being anything other than being fairly gentle, interesting. I don't think I was particularly awake, if I use that expression, a sense of um, understanding what the world was about. I was I was living a normal schoolboy life, you know, keen on sport. Um, probably wasn't as diligent in my work as I should have been. Went to a good university, managed to get reasonable grades to go to a good university. But it was when I went to university that I remember beginning to feel that I wanted to go in a different direction. It seemed to me that everyone was heading the same way. And it, it wasn't, I wasn't feeling very comfortable about it. And actually, I did a rather unusual thing. I, I, at the end of my second year, I chose to leave. Well, I passed my exams. And I remember that was very hard for my parents and for various friends and family who I think rightly thought of me as an arrogant young man, and what are you doing, not setting yourself up for success? You have the chance for a degree and choose not to. But there was a voice inside of me saying, you need to go down a different path. And of course, that forced me because I didn't end up with a degree, so I couldn't automatically go in and sign up to uh, a large company and become one of their graduate trainees. I had to try and do something different, and, and quite quickly that, that brought out the entrepreneurial side of me. Yeah, so how, how long did you... That must have been very difficult like for your family that you left university when maybe maybe that was um, the expectation for you uh, perhaps. Uh, how, how did you, you know, how did you deal with that and uh, and how long did it take before your parents sort of said, you know, ah, I understand why you did that now and it all makes sense. <laughs> it took a few years. It, um, it was hard. It was particularly hard because I didn't understand why. I was doing what I was doing. It was like there was a sort of an energy inside of me, a, a voice saying, "You just go a different direction. But I couldn't find the words to it. I just had that strong feeling, a sort of belief that it was the right thing to do. Um, and I trusted it. I don't know quite know where I got the courage to trust it, but it felt appropriate. Um, and I think for the, for the first year, I literally, I lived a very humble life. I had no money at all and they certainly weren't prepared to give me any. So I worked very basic jobs. I remember working at London Underground, um, which was great and a good experience. And uh, then we worked in an office helping to move furniture. And I did all sorts of things just to keep myself with some money in my pocket. Um, and it took about a year, I suppose, before I began to find my feet. And I then got offered a job. And it was through that job offer that I sort of set myself up because they were all entrepreneurs. A group of entrepreneurs had come together to build some quite interesting stuff here in the UK. And I became a sort of PA to their board. 
and so learnt so many of their skills quickly. And of course, in so doing, I think my family began to see me sort of flourish, begin to grow, and 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 that therefore their concern and their angst was lost as they saw me taking a different path, but seemingly enjoying it and doing well with it. And you know, sort of eight years later, you've got four companies, and these—it's not like you've just gone and set up a company just around the corner that maybe you know just tiling for people's houses or something like that. These are you know businesses in financial services and leisure and technology. And they're turning over some serious amounts of cash. Uh, how did you make that transition, that shifting consciousness to be able to do that within you know, just a few years? I'm not sure I shifted consciousness then. I think I was just good at building things. I, I, sort of, I love being with people. I'm quite good at spotting talent in others and helping it grow. So I don't need to always be for the front of house and if I am I mean I'm really only doing it because it's supporting all of those around me and and I was therefore able to find good people to take on senior roles in each of the businesses I started and and really make them happen and give them the room and the opportunity and empowerment to actually grow themselves uh, and as far as the the way they came about I think the first led to the second that led to the third there was a sort of natural fluidity, fluidity to it I mean looking back I can see that at the time of course you never quite understand how these things happen and it was really with the fourth fund which was the technology business where a group of venture capital funds came and were interested in me and as an entrepreneur and the businesses that I was involved in and you know, this was 97 it was the time of technology they came in and asked what the play was and I felt that there was a chance in the space I was working in, which was around leisure um, and so they supported me, I suppose, on our track record. So it, it just one thing led to another. It seemed a natural extension, really. But, but you, you got to a point, obviously, you'd been very successful, but then you lost everything. How mm. did that come about? And how did you how do you deal with that? It came about because I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think, looking back on it, everyone was so trusting of me. I was quite good at pulling rabbits out of hats, and I suspect <laughs> they always thought I would. And of course, what happened in 2001 is we had the dot-com crash. I wasn't a dot-com business. It didn't affect us. But about nine months later, the ASP market dropped by about 90% in value. Probably remember in the summer of 2000, actually summer of 2001, it was 2000, a dot-com crash. And, you know, basically all my partners said, look, we love what you're doing, but we can't keep supporting you. So there's no more money. And if you can't you know, turn this ship around quickly enough, then you're in trouble. And I just was spending so much. And I, if I'd looked back on it, and, you know, over time, I wouldn't have built up so much infrastructure so quickly. I would have been much more sustainable from the beginning. But I was burning a lot of money every month, building market share. I didn't realize I couldn't stop doing that quickly. And by the time I tried to, it, was, it wasn't quick enough. And literally, I, I lost it all. It was, so it was terribly difficult and at which time I'd, I'd also brought quite a lot of friends and family money in because people at that stage had begun to believe in what I was doing so having to face them and and talk to them about you know the hundreds and thousands and millions that that had gone was um was really challenging and I and I hated it I found found it, I found myself feeling very guilty and very shameful um at the, you know for a period of time it was just a horrible place to be in uh, yeah I can, I can imagine but I mean, do, do you look upon it as a, a gift in some ways now? Yes. It's funny. People often say, you know, I bet that was a, a, a really helpful to you. I mean, of course, I, I would never wish it on anyone because it's a horrible place to be in when you're, when you're really very low. I probably was in some way depressed. I, I wasn't taking any medication or anything, but I was certainly very upset with myself. I think what it did 
is it forced me to to look at life through a different set of lenses and that, you know, i wasn't i wasn't necessarily thinking while i was building these things i was i was building because it felt the right thing to do but i wasn't really aware of my footprint and what i was doing and why i was doing it so that sense of purpose had never come through and maybe when this all happened you know i had to go a different direction i didn't want to stay in the uk i felt that it was it was just too many memories too quickly i wanted to go somewhere where i could be looked after somehow and that's where I found myself going to Spain. I, I ended up going to Seville, really by accident rather than design. I just I, I got there through a series of sort of unusual stories um, from Madrid down to Seville. But when I arrived, you know, I had a few months where I, I probably earned actually in a year what I used to pay myself every two weeks. But I had an amazing year with people who just cared for me. And I taught English and I worked on tables and I made friends and a beautiful son and lovely Spanish sherry and great food and like gosh you can live life in a different way and what's important all those things started to wake me up a little bit yeah and then, then, then you from Seville you kind of moved on you became more of a, a global adventurer and I think you even <laughs> discovered a Tyrannosaurus Rex maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about your global adventures and how did you how you discovered that dinosaur well I I, I bumped into well I, you don't lose air miles when you lose businesses so <laughs> I after losing everything I, I saved up a teeny bit from Seville and various brothers and sisters gave me a tent and a sleeping bag and a, and a rucksack. And I thought I'd go walk about through South America and just explore on my own. And in so doing, uh, I bumped into a, an explorer, a guy called, amazing chap called John Bashford Snell in La Plaza, Bolivia. And he was heading off down the Amazon and he asked me to join him. And that was amazing. Three months working with him, sort of building wells and clinics and like for the community and also doing science work with the scientists we brought in from around the world and that opened my eyes to I suppose other ways of being other communities out there and John very kindly said come on Simon you haven't got anything else going on why don't you work with me and help me lead these expeditions and so I did and and about two years after that I was in Mongolia taking a team across the Gobi Desert and I had a Amazing chap, Alt Angle Perley, who's had a number of dinosaurs named after him. He was with us, as, as, with others, and the reason they were with us is it's hard for them often to do their own research because they're caught in Ulaanbaatar. They don't have the budgets to go and actually see what's in their own country. So we access that for them by taking the aid convoy across the Gobi. And one day, looking for dinosaur fossils through some dry riverbeds that Alt Angle had, had identified where we were in, in a layer he felt that were possible fossils to find. I was on my own walking through the desert and I, I happened across a load of bones and it was so incredible to find these bones on the surface. The first thing I thought was I found a dead camel and then I thought well actually no I'm sure it's not that but there's no then I was suspicious I thought they're all teasing me they're all hiding behind a rock and this is just a series of you know plants and they're all going to laugh as I as I radio in a fine so I walked around in a circle around this quite big set of bones and only found my own footprints so I called back in and he turned up about half an hour later in one of our vehicles and and smiled and said it's the leg of a Tarbosaurus batoa which is the Asian equivalent of a Tyrannosaurus rex wow you- amazing well, you officially, we've had adventurers on the show before and lots of business people. You are officially the first person to discover a dinosaur, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> it was all good fun and we celebrated that night. And I have, a, you know, great memories of our time together. Brilliant. And you, and you went on, you became the uh, CEO of um, first uh, Right to Sight. That's and right. um, you did that for a little while. And then, then you um, decided it was time to come home, but you did it via a Zen monastery. Is that correct? What was that yeah. What did you learn about yourself there? 
Well, I'd had, I had this amazing time helping to build clinics across, particularly across Africa, using some amazing in Indian expertise. And I'd been living in Southern India, an organization called Aravind, who just do fabulous social enterprise work and serve about a four million community in Southern India and Tamil Nadu. And when I, when it became apparent that I'd been away for a long time, I was trying to go home, you know, I'd probably been nine years on the road with, with, with John and the expeditions and then, and then right to site. I'd had a brother who'd already come across this rather amazing Zen master who has a, who's also a Jesuit monk and has a community in Southern India. And it so happened that Aravind knew him too. And everyone thought, well, why don't I go and just meet him before I come home? And I went for a day and stayed for two months. And, uh, and just, I had a chance, I suppose, to create space in my life. There's a, I don't know whether you've read uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, but mm -hmm. in that he... He says uh, something like, in between stimulus and response, there lies a gap. And in that gap is our destiny and our freedom. And I think what I did for myself is I built a gap when I went to Body Zendo, which is Amasami, the Zen master's community. And I, and I was able to just pause. I sort of hit a pause button and went inside. And I'd never done that. It was incredibly challenging. We had about a month's worth of silence over the two months I was there, you know, sort of seven days here and four days and another seven days, and interspersed with conversation with Amasami. And it really, I found it very, very helpful, actually. And that's something you've, you, you, that interest has continued now, isn't it? Hasn't it in your life? I know you've recently been on a retreat in India. Um, yeah, it has. It became, it became a, a lifelong discipline since was it was it that the catalyst for it the same monastery it was it was he helped me build a practice i think if i had a magic wand i'd i'd try and gift a practice to every person i ever meet it doesn't necessarily need to be a meditative practice i think it's just this practice of stillness and silence and reflection and observation because it what i feel is there's so much more than just us and there's so much noise in our heads and so much noise all around us that we just can't hear it and feel it and see it and taste it but that practice gives you that opportunity and it sort of creates a reset button so every day whatever happens you can go back to yourself and I do it each morning much to amusement of my wife on occasions I get up and sit on the floor and and do a bit of meditation and a bit of yoga and it feels entirely conducive to good living well so be beautifully articulated and since perfect time to go to a commercial break now after the break we'll we'll find out a bit more about um, Simon in terms of his you know, current responsibilities now and we'll start talking about future stewards about you know how we we do develop ourselves as leaders to cope with all this change that's going on on globally so uh, do join us again in just a couple of minutes when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? 
Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm talking with Simon Hampel. And we're just reminiscing a little bit about Dire Straits in the break because I interviewed um, Chris White, which is in the archive, who was... uh, the saxophone player from Dire Straits, and we did the interview about ten at night, and it was just so relaxed and uh, and just you know engaging, and just one of those sort of special conversations in an evening. And it feels a little bit like that talking with Simon today, um, having that conversation right now. I just feel very re- relaxed, and um, and and I wonder, Simon, if we can sort of move on to um, chatting about a little bit about your responsibilities at Leaders Quest, but. But particularly, because you've got a lot of responsibility there, but particularly, you know, what your purpose is now, you know, all that amazing, fascinating background you've had. What, what was the conclusion you came to and, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? It's probably the... Mm. You know, Chris, I'm looking outside bright blue sunshine here in London, just thinking about a glass of wine. It's probably a bit early, but I'll tuck in a bit later and <laughs> get some friends over. Um, listen, purpose. Uh, it, it, what happened, I think, after Body Zendo and it's been growing in me ever since, is this is this feeling of a sort of hand behind me pushing and one in front of me pulling me forward. That's the, that's the feeling I have. I close my eyes. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a sense of contribution, I suppose. How do I contribute to, to all of us? There's a sense of service, a sense of fun, you know, not being too worthy and intense and all those things that can happen but but really recognizing it's not about me i think that's what's happened and it, and, and in that release of getting out of myself and in a sense of contribution so it's you know when you go into any conversation any situation with that at the forefront of your mind just naturally it just shifts the conversation it shifts the dynamic and other things open up uh, and i think that's what i've i fell on from body zendo and i've just been growing ever since yeah, and so you, so you feel that that push. I mean, do you ever feel do you ever feel resistance um, around you know, maybe things like you tr- you're traveling globally? Because I know you're sort of starting to put down roots with family and that sort of thing. Do you ever feel any of that, or is it just you just go with this natural journey and it takes you where it takes you? I'm thinking about my lovely wife Ella, who may well be listening as we speak, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, she. I think I. I the way life is panning out, you know, we have our first child, which is very exciting, due to be born uh, early July, wow. and obviously that will change my responsibilities to a degree. 
Um, but I think what it comes to, Chris, is a sense of trust. You know, what, what happened for me after I lost the businesses is I began to trust life more. Something allowed me to realize that it's, it's an underpinning part of what it makes all of us thrive. And with that trust, so I've, I've allowed myself to travel as I have. I've allowed myself to do what I'm doing. And I'm trusting now that in the next stage of my life, so I will make room for Ella and for our child, as I will the contribution I want to make to the work we're doing. So I'm not worried by it. I don't feel resistance, but I'm also aware it'll be different to what it has been. Mm. Well, exciting times. Yeah. Uh, so, so tell me, from your, you know, from your perspective, what are the key issues that are, are really going, in, on, going on in the world right now that leaders must consider? And I'm also kind of you know, intrigued to... View. I know that you're, you're at the forefront of changing perceptions and, and attitudes, but there's some people try and do that through, you know, less of a, an intellectual approach like you do, but more of an activist approach. So I'd be interested to you know, discover some of the key issues, but also just to start to talk about some of the solutions, um, the positive solutions that can come about to, to resolve these issues through leadership. Yeah. No, of course, of course. And I think there's a, a place for all the things you're talking about. Um, it's not an either or, it's, a, it's an and and a build. Um, what's happening in the world? don't know whether you've read, um, uh, thank you for being late, Thomas Freeman's recent book. I think that's a good example of highlighting the challenges, just as Yuval Harari's Homo Deus, these idea of exponential change. So much of life is changing so fast, so rapidly. You know, previously it would have been in, in say, 50 years, one or two things would change exponentially, and that could go back over, say, three or four or 500 years. But now many, many things are changing at the same time. 3D printing, nanotechnology, just the speed of the internet, climate change, species extinction, population growth, soil erosion, water loss, and you sort of add layer after layer, and they're all hockey sticks of change. You can map them all onto each other. And that's really discombobulating it's very fast and if you sort of drew a line about where humanity's ability to cope with its own ingenuity lay it wouldn't be that hockey stick it would be a line that's much flatter and frankly it would seem to me and to us that the dot is above that line now of where we're at so it's only getting more frightening and i think that's the challenge that we're being invited to meet is how do we raise that that level of humanity's own paradigm and consciousness to cope with our own rather brilliance and this sort of gap we often talk about inside Leaders Quest, this gap between cleverness and wisdom. We're doing some terribly clever things, but is it wise? And how do we help bring wisdom into that conversation? Yes, yes. I remember reading a very you know, great um, blog on your website. I think Lindsay wrote that around that gap between cleverness and wisdom. And it certainly got me thinking about that because you're right, we're continuously developing and moving things forward in a very clever way, but actually it has consequences, doesn't it? Hugely mm, so, hugely so. Stop and think about how we address those cons- consequences, and that that takes some real reflection, doesn't it? Very much, very much, and I think it also brings and encourages fear in people, and and a sense of closing down, a sense of scarcity, because people don't know what to do, where to cope, and and so naturally then try and go back to an old way of being and trying to get into control. Neither of which particularly serve, but both of, both of which are fairly um, understandable given the the challenges that people are asked to meet. In fact, it was a I mean, we had a conversation. There was a lovely, another lovely chap I've, I listened to a little bit, um, Thomas Hubel, and Thomas was talking recently about 
about consciousness. I think there's something that we think about inside Leader's Quest, our, our own conscious state. And he says something rather beautiful. He said, complexity is simplicity in the right size cup. Mm. And I think our invitation at the moment is, is how can we expand our cup, our vessel of being, to cope with the complexity that's being sort of brought towards us, that tidal wave that we're all having, being immersed in. Otherwise, it's overwhelmed. And, and I think what Leaders Quest is trying to do and, and others like us is, is to expand our own individual's capacity and therefore organizations and systems we're part of. That's what we're doing. Uh, and one of the things I you know, sort of, we, we all sort of note as well, and, you know, and I probably thought you might have, you might have raised it when we talk about key issues, is kind of the, is politics and mm. some of those people who are, are rising to power mm. who maybe, I don't know, I kind of wonder if they're, you know, they're a reflection of the collective consciousness of a country uh, and how they're thinking and feeling at a point in time when you have leaders like like Trump and uh, and, and whoever coming into into power. But it just sort of a, f- a, year, a few years ago, I would have said that we seem to be making real progress with that consciousness, but I'm not quite so sure now. Um, you know, why does, for example, political support appear to be dim- diminishing for climate change? Um, you know, what, are, what are your views on this area? Hmm. I think it's understandable. I think you know when many people get left behind, um, people react in a certain way. And this is that piece I spoke to just now around looking backwards rather than forwards, trying to go back to an old way, a controlling way, a simpler way. It's, it's not, I don't think, particularly real, um, but I understand why it happens. And therefore, it manifests itself in the type of populism and the type of politicians that we then have seen to rise in some parts of the world. I, I don't know whether on the climate front, to your question, that, it, that, that there's less acceptance politically. I think there are pockets of less acceptance. And of course, the US is a huge example of that. But it's that sort of, sort of a hierarchy of, of, of his team. If you look at what's happening at a state level, at a city level, if you look at the businesses that drive America's business engine, actually it isn't. There's, there's a huge amount of understanding and a huge amount of determination to, to help uh, tackle this problem, as there is across the world. So um, I think we're seeing pockets of frustration, pockets of, of fear coming up. And I do, th- I do believe that you know, there are... Uh, conversations need to be had. It's a sort of waking people out of complacency now um, because we don't want to go down the wrong path. And actually, if we start making the wrong decisions in the next few years, we could end up in a very difficult position, both from a traumatic climate perspective, but also, I think, around this sense of separation of community. You know, we are a global uh, world. We, We do interact, and we have done for many, many years now. And we won't be able to break that. But if we have this commentary that's always about separation it's going to be very painful i think and only get worse mm-hmm. what, what i think I'm, I'm gathering which is very encouraging i think is irrespective of perhaps you know political views at that kind of level there's still progress being made at the ground level and amongst you know, amongst communities and cities and um states and and, and that and organizations you know that realization and that consciousness it is improving things yeah, it is, and a real determination by people. You know, we're, we're working, as you as you mentioned, we're working inside the climate system space. We're working with um, Mission Twenty Twenty, Cristiano Figuera, who who led the amazing success in Paris um, with the UN, and has now set up Mission Twenty Twenty with a couple of wonderful colleagues, Andrew and Tom. 
Uh, and then we mean business, which is business's response to, to climate change led by Nigel Topping. And we're working with three organizations with Leaders Quest, and a thing called Future Stewards. And Future Stewards is how do we help equip the leaders who are going from vision to action in that space really build relationship? Because so much previously is about being heard, about being activists, about being angry, about getting the message across the line so it's accepted. But of course, once there is a degree of acceptance, you have to go back over that line and find the people you've been angry with and fighting with and actually begin to engage with at a different level and, and choose to collaborate with and choose to partner with. And that requires a whole different level of, 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 of ability and capacity. And, and we're busy trying to build programs to help that happen. Mm. So it's a, it's, it's a little bit, um, I'm thinking now of sort of Mother Teresa refusing to go on an anti-war kind of march because of how it was articulated. Um, what, you're, what you're doing is you're working with, with people to, uh, to help them move forward. Um, so I've just lost my train of thought where well, I was trying to say that. Um, but I think, um, yeah, so th- this idea is really about equipper, equipping future leaders to, um, to, to, to deal con- with, with, at a conscious level with the shift and change that's required. Yeah, yeah, I think as I notice, as I speak to people both inside climate, but also senior leaders inside business, politics, I think there's a realization that um, A, there's people who feel lonely, that they, 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 they want to be in a community of others who are having the same conversation. There's then this sort of waking up to a deeper sense of purpose. Some it's, as we talk about climate, everyone's long on purpose. They know why they're doing what they're doing. But, but they want to be in a different form of relationship, which requires a different skill set. Sometimes in business, it's actually re, re-finding that deeper sense of purpose, that, uh, that meaning that actually gives you the energy to get out of bed and do something and feel good about it and wake up um, you know, smiling and feeling, feeling like you've been productive and, and helpful and contributed. Uh, so so it's, it's interesting depending on which, which area you're working in. Is it, is it commercial? Is it organizational? Is it systemic? Um, but it ultimately comes down to being a human being and that common humanity. And I think that's a lot of what we do inside Leaders Quest is reminding ourselves of that common humanity and meeting fellow leaders kind of where they're at and listening to their stories and engaging with their challenges, being inspired by what they do, but also then reflecting it back to ourselves and what that means for what we do and what we can change going forward. Uh, so, yeah, so that just reminded my, my, my thought sort of process there it's as opposed to taking a a confrontational approach uh, what you're doing is that you're equipping people with the skills to be able to um take a, an approach of listening and understanding and adapting and thinking about these things from a uh, in a collaborative way as opposed to a uh, us and them uh, someone needing to win yeah i think that's right i think you know with the we have plenty of friends who are activists and doing some amazing work in the world, and, and I think that's important too. Um, but our path is one of, of, of openness, of embracing the, the collective view and helping people find dialogue, find a way of perhaps you know, one and one not equaling two, but more than that. So the, the different parts 
being greater as the whole. And I, and I know that's possible. I've seen it happen uh, time and time again. And, and I think with Leaders Quest, because we, we started out working with individuals, then we went into an organizational conversation, which has propelled us into a system conversation. We feel that we're ready for that type of work. It, it's entirely where we need to be now, given the challenges that you spoke to uh, just, just recently. And how would you, you know, you talk about systemic change and you talk, you talk, I hear you in your language at Leaders Quest, you're talking about systems. Um, do you want to just articulate what, what that systematic change is? What does it actually mean for people to be able to just understand that concept? Sure. Um, you know, we have, I suppose, let's, let's think about here in the UK, we have a system of banking, a way that we all choose to engage with our banks and they with us. Uh, and that's been structured over a, a number of years, many, many years, decades, centuries, in fact. Um, and you, we could argue that it's not necessarily serving us as a system. It's Is it still thinking of too much about the short term, about purely shareholder um, gain rather than the broader stakeholder, the, the, the bigger community that is affected by the system? And, and that's how we look at systems. What is it and who is it that's being affected by the system? So in climate... It goes everywhere. It affects uh, affects our um, the way we grow our crops, the way we um, we migration of people. Obviously, as as you then have desertification if things get too hot, uh, water and how we how we drink and how therefore and also how we feed each other. It affects ultimately beyond that uh, ability for communities to live safely together. Um, because with scarcity, so comes anger and frustration and, and sometimes more than that. Uh, and, and the system of climate is is very uh, complex because it ties together, you know, burning fossil fuels into the environment, uh, eating meat and cows and methane. It, it, it's, it's, you know, how do we create solar and wind and how do we look at fission rather than fusion nuclear power? And what about... Um, photosynthesis and using the sun so there's so many sides and layers but ultimately what we have to try and help do is all those component parts come together in some cohesive form to move forward and that's why it's so challenging because it's complex it's not easy and it's not simple or linear so it's taking on some you're taking on some of the biggest challenges that we face globally really aren't you by uh, looking at that that complexity of those systems and uh, um some of your role as educating people around some of that complexity so they can understand it and take it forward. Yes, and not be frightened by it. I mean, this, what we often have found in the last few months as we've worked with some of the negotiators from the COP process and the people really trying to, at the coalface of this change, is that as you introduce other complexities beyond what's just to do with climate, um, actually it becomes easier to look at your own system because bigger problems give smaller problems a different sense of perspective. So expanding one's, one's vision and mindset can be incredibly helpful as we go into tackling what we need to do. Brilliant. Well, we're going to go to commercial break again now, but after the break, and what I want to ask Simon is, you know, how do leaders best become future stewards and explore uh, that? So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. 
Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with simon humple we're talking about future stewards and i'm just really enjoying this conversation with simon at the moment um and uh, this is where it's where it's going and uh, the sort of expansive nature of it. Um, so, Simon, big question here: How do leaders best become future stewards? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, sixty-four thousand dollar question, isn't it? Um, inside our program for Leaders Quest, we we've developed a series of pillars that we think are going to help. Um, one is around this experiential journey that we build. So we call it a quest, um, where people come together and they are somewhere, and in this instance it would probably be the West Coast, the US to start, but we do stuff in India and China and across Africa and elsewhere. Um, and it's a group of individuals who, who meet people who are facing similar challenges literally where they are. And, and our sense is that that shared learning helps shift perspective. It helps open up a sort of nuclear crack inside someone to ask a deeper set of questions. Sometimes in a very sort of large meta way about what's happening in the world and how you can relate it back to what you do day to day. Similarly about, about what does it mean to be a leader? What am I learning from the person opposite me, the group that I'm with that can help me in my own leadership journey? And then more fundamentally, and I think uh, you know, often very challenging, who am I and why am I here? That deeper sense of purpose. And we think that combination is really powerful in helping open up people to the future stewards idea. You could translate that into what leadership is being asked of us because I think Leaders Quest is all about helping to build wise, compassionate leadership ourselves and others in the, you know, to meet the challenges we're being invited to face in the world. Wow. So it's very much, it's an experiential process. It's not something you sit in a classroom and, uh, and learn. It's kind of facilitated, but it's free-flowing and it might be you know, multi-geographical to get those different inputs and ideas and experiences? It's a yes and again, Chris, because we also will have 
moments of workshops and reflection, moments in a classroom. Um, trying hard not to get too caught in our heads, actually often trying to get us back into our hearts. And the fact the experiential often allows us to get into our hearts, because I think that's as a powerful a, a way of, of, of um, helping leaders grow as it is being, being intellectually brilliant. Um, you need the combination of the two. Uh, and so, so what we are building, uh, another program we have is called Deep Practitioners. It's, it's self-selecting people who, who want to grow their own capacity, who really recognize that they're being asked to do something important in the world and want to step up to that, but in so doing, equip themselves curiously as they inquire, what does it mean to be someone who takes charge of this, whatever it is that they're being asked to take charge of. And we're building a sort of curriculum. Uh, literally around that to help help them grow and futures thinking and dilemma um, and scenario planning and uh, all types of ways of, of being able equipped with a, a tool set of living of being as well as the the doing piece which of course they then need to go and do otherwise what's the point because action is important but coming from the right place yeah you, you hit on a really fundamental and interesting point there around you know, maybe leaders who who have very busy uh, work lives and they're, um, they're working and trying to meet the needs of shareholders and, um, and, and life can be very busy and they're managing families and kids and um, and the work that you do um, is you know about helping them partly get back to their hearts and what is important because uh, it's from that place isn't it that you can maybe make the biggest difference um you know p- potentially um by starting to care more for the, the the real issues rather than just generating more cash or making more products and filling factories and you know, knocking down more trees to make more paper mills and, and make more paper and uh, it's just getting back to fundamentally what's important exactly exactly and that's i think what the experiential side of what we do does it it, it questions that and invites us to really think hard and I, you know we at leaders quest utterly believe in business being a force for good it can it can and, and will help shift so many things but it needs to be done consciously purposefully has to be done in conjunction and in collaboration with broad set of stakeholders including shareholders um, and that's part of what we're trying to bring into the world through our, our work and that's you know, I wonder when you see the behaviour of some um, you know, some individuals who are you know very activist in their nature and you know see big business as being a negative. But actually, there is a lot of good work being done through business, and you know, the business has the ability to mobilise huge amounts of people and make make a huge amount of difference. So, you know, tackling at that level seems to make an awful lot of sense, and engaging at that level. Totally. I mean, I'm struck. We're struck here at Leaders Quest. Uh, you know, people, when we meet them who are senior in all sorts of commercial organizations, are generally really lovely, good people. Mm. They, their intention is to do the right thing. But somehow, the structure, the hierarchy, the fear culture, whatever it is, prevents that from happening. And, you know, our invitation is how do we change that from the inside rather than everyone leaving and really create an engine for growth and change inside some of these organizations that already span the globe and can and can affect change much quicker because they're there. Mm. So for, for leaders who are listening to the show right now and they're kind of inspired by this and thinking, you know, really I or my people could do with with 
uh, taking our consciousness a bit to a, another level and getting back to what's kind of truly important. Um, what should they do tomorrow? <laughs> I think one, one of the things I've, I've observed, Chris, with people who really choose to walk their talk is that there's this, if we think about a state of being, there's a lovely, um, one of the amazing Indian leaders that I was working with, Samadashini, beautiful woman, and she was saying to me recently, Simon, ultimately all values die unless they're underpinned by a conscious state. And I think that's so powerful because I think, you know, when you talk about, as you just had, how do, how do leaders move in this new direction of travel? Look at your internal state, your conscious state, where are you? And, and what I mean by that is, are you, are you sitting angry and frustrated and anxious and therefore probably therefore coming into a series of choices that just are inappropriate, that are frictional, that will affect those around you either immediately or, or in the course of the next few months? Because if we can get to that fundamental, then actually we can begin to build off it appropriate values, deeper purpose meaning a sense of a sense of collaboration and coming together a real energy to to grow organizations sustain them build profits but also serve communities and 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 um and the society at large so i go back to the conscious state and for me that's about observation and reflection and and, and making a small amount of space and time to be able to have that courage and conversation with oneself. It's a very personal journey because it starts from within. It's not he has to change, they have to change, it's got to change. It's what am I prepared to do? How brave am I prepared to be? And if I am, it's amazing what I can then bring into the world. So do, do we need to um, maybe have a think about, reflect about what is our typically our conscious state and how are we being from day to day and in just sort of look into that, hold a bit of a mirror up to ourselves and ask yeah. ourselves some questions. I think that's very important. I think it's a lovely gift. Uh, I think, you know, it's so many of us are, are, are caught in, in difficult and challenging lives where we don't give ourselves the chance to do that. And I totally get it. But those of us who are privileged enough to, to create that space, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, conversation, Chris, I talked about that Viktor Frankl saying, in between stimulus and response, there lies a gap. And in that gap is our destiny, our freedom. We are so caught by stimulus and response that we don't create the gap to find something that's bigger than us. And if we do that, that's when our creativity flows. That's when we become innovative. That's when we actually create deeper forms of relationship. We connect into each other. Our sense of care and love comes through. So I, I really, I just see it. I see it personally for myself in my relationship with my wife and colleagues here at Leaders Quest and constantly as I move around the world working with fellow leaders. Mm, so so this, this bigger, um, something that's bigger than us is, is that we might be, as a leader, might be focusing on hitting our targets for yeah. the for the um, for the month or the, the week or the year and that's where our focus is. But actually... You know the big the bigger focus um, could well be about you know, how you know, something that is related to developing the planet or or climate change or um, you know our contribution as a person in the world how we want to come across the legacy that we want to leave um, it's it's thinking beyond uh, the immediate um, tangible 
goals and uh, and creating that future uh, and looking at how we might want to lean into it. Yeah, and it's it's not always just about thinking big. I mean, I think some people are drawn to mm-hmm. bigger challenges and it seems to me that I am I, I'm moving in that direction. But, you know, I think there are many wonderful people who just focus on their own community, literally their own town they live in, the village they're part of, uh, the, 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 the organisation that can be a business of five people, it can be a business of 500 or 5,000 or 50,000. For me, it's, it, it's, it's what, are you, what are you actually choosing to do? Ask, ask yourself that and, and how can you do it differently so that it's still sustainable, it's still profitable, and yet it seems to be of greater good, of service in some way. Because I don't think they are in isolation. I think they can be done. I've observed time and time again, they can happen together. And I think there's a construct that we've had which is just misinformed that says that's not the case. And I think what's happening now is more and more examples are coming up to showcase that it is possible. Did you have a favourite example? We've just got a couple of minutes before we, we go, but do you have something that... I've, I've always enjoyed the story of um, uh, Patagonia, the business, you know, they're amazing what they've been doing and their, and their real dedication to, to their supply chains, to their, to their suppliers, to their team as a, well, as a whole, and also to the people they sell things to and what they make and their effect they have, the footprint they have on the planet. You know, it's, it's an example. Um, and I think, I think it's, we're at that, we're at a tipping point of change now where there are people inside organizations popping up everywhere, like little lights going on going, yeah, how can I do that here? Look at, you look at what Paul Palmer has been trying to do at, at Unilever. It really trying to drive a, uh, a story of change in his organization, which I'm sure is very challenging because organizations are stark and they're, they are a certain way for extended periods of time. But unless we're brave to have that long-term view, I, I was very interested seeing Richard Buxton's um, letter to the Sunday Times in the UK. You know, he's, he runs Old Mutual Investors, writing to Paul Polman, talking about holding the line as Kraft Heinz uh, come in possibly to buy Unilever and what he was basically saying was you've been brave to, to create a long-term relationship with shareholders to think about this, uh, the, the environment to think about sustainable supply chain these are important things and we as investors appreciate you doing that that's an amazing thing to read in a national newspaper only a week ago wow well well I think that's a you know, a lovely way to uh, to think about that, about you know, holding up the light, and are, are, you know, are you turning your light on? Um, are you one of these beacons that is is out there, uh, you know, making a difference, caring, um, thinking about some of the things that matter, like you know, loving each other and the planet, and value and contribution, and what have you? I, I've really um, enjoyed this conversation. I wonder if you've got a final message that you'd like to leave us with. Um, final message. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, I think enjoy life. <laughs> My message is it's it, this, well. I just you know awfulness in in the UK recently in London. I'm close to Westminster. Horrible things happening around the world, and we can all be caught. I think in the fear of it. And my my belief is that life is more than that. And just to encourage everyone to smile uh, and to care for each other. And I think that will that's what we need to do. We have to that, that holding the line is. Is critical, um, and then bring ourselves the best of us forward, whatever we're doing. And obviously, we're talking about it from a leadership perspective, but do so with a smile and a generous heart. Excellent. Well, Simon, thank you so much for the show today. You've certainly 
you certainly left me with a smile and I've enjoyed the eloquence of the way that you've spoken and you know, your thoughts and idea about future stewards. I know you're doing some great work out there. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Chris, very much. Love being with you and, and really enjoyed the show. Thank you. Thank you. And on um, next, well, to, to find out more about Leaders Quest, do go to leadersquest.org. That's leadersquest.org. And on next week's show, we have Bob Culhan. Um, Bob is the president and CEO of Business Improv. Um, he's a real uh, fascinating individual. He's an expert in improvisation. He's going to talk about his book, Yes, Anne, The Art of Business Improv. Um, I loved talking to Bob uh, last week about planning this show, and he's full of ideas and inspiration uh, and how you can use improvisation to really um, really step up and make a difference and engage and what have you. So do join us again on next week's show. Once again, a huge thank you to Simon Hample and Leaders Quest, and I wish you all a wonderful week. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.